Okay. Um, this morning as we start, we're going to actually have interaction so you can just raise your hand, okay, that you have permission to actually respond, okay? This is one church I have to give permission to, so you're not used to doing that sometimes. Okay, number one, okay, I'm going to ask you some questions, and uh, as I ask questions, you just kind of respond, okay? The first question is this, have you ever, ever, ever in your whole life been mad? If you don't have your hand raised, you, you don't, you're not telling the truth. Okay, at first service I said you're liars, and somebody said, oh, that was very nice. Uh, okay, no, okay, no, you're, uh, okay, number one. Okay, you know, uh, and this is something I've, um, yeah, I'm just going to ask this. Um, have any of you ever been mad enough to ever actually hit something or someone? Okay, a bunch of violent people here this morning, you know, in our crowd together. Yeah, I remember when I was 17 years old, my family was going through a little bit of crisis time, and I was frustrated with what was going on. And I remember, guys do dumb things. We do dumb things sometimes. We get mad. And I, I hit the wall with my fist. Luckily, I went in between the two by fours, and I just put a hole through drywall, you know. I learned after that how to repair drywall. And uh, so uh, a life lesson learned. But, you know, you've ever been mad. Okay, have you ever been confused? Ever been confused? Okay, yeah. I mean, you know... <laughs> For all of you that are guys that are married, uh, you should have raised your hand. Because uh, when you got married, you know, there's all kinds of things about your marriage that would probably confuse you. You know, like you walked into the bedroom and you're going like, you know, 17 pillows? You know, why do we need that many pillows? We can only sleep on one. You know, so I mean, stuff like that, you know, confuses guys. We're just totally just like oblivious to what's going on there. So we're confused all the time with that. Okay, number three. Question number three. Have you ever been frustrated? Ever been frustrated? Okay, I've been frustrated, okay? Any of you that are parents probably know, because kids have this ability to cause us not to be able to speak in complete sentences, right? You know, you know just because we're... And parents all know, when you speak that language, we know what we're talking about, right? You get, uh, you get a little bit uh, frustrated. Okay, the fourth question, last question. <clears throat> And I don't know if you want to answer this or not, it's up to you, you know. But have you ever been mad, confused, or frustrated with God? You ever want to yell at God? No? Yeah, okay, okay, thank you. I mean, I thought I was the only one. Really, God? Have you ever been that way? Well, this morning, uh, you know, the thing is, the problem is, I want us to be real, you know, at church. The church is the one place in America, for some reason in America, we have this kind of thing, especially when I came from the South, and Southeast has brought this to an art form. Uh, but I don't think we're much better here in the Midwest. And the thing is, we go to church, and we're supposed to act like everything is fine. And everything is just perfect, and we never have problems, and we never, we act, and, and almost we're encouraged to act fake. To not be real with people and to, and to, and to say, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with this. And so the problem is, is when we're confused or when we're mad or when we're frustrated, what do we normally want to do if we don't have an outlet for it? We just want to give up. We just want to give up. I remember, I remember my dad one time was working on a car and it just wouldn't work, you know, and he slams the hood on it. I learned how to cuss from my dad too. Um, and... and uh, and the thing was, is that, you know, he just going, I'm just going to give up on it, you know? That's the way we feel sometimes when we're frustrated, when we're confused, when we don't have a way to deal with it. 
I don't want us to be that way. And, and, and today as we, we start a study for the next seven weeks on the book of Job, uh, we're going to be talking about this, but I want to talk about it from a positive perspective because as I was reading the book of Job in preparation for this, I have not preached on the book of Job in a long, long, long time. Long time. Because in the past when you preach on Job, you kind of preach on chapters 1 and 2, but you know there's 42 chapters in the book of Job? 42 chapters. And we always focus on 1 and 2 for some strange reason. And so as I was uh, back a few months ago when uh, we finished up, or finishing up the story, and we got into a portion of the story, and then we're going over scripture, somebody came to me and said, you know, Pastor, we're not looking at the story, and the story, we're not looking at the book of Job at all. And I said, you're exactly right. That's one of the things they left out. And they had to. They had to edit some things, because you can't cover everything in, four, in 31 weeks. And um, so I said, sure. And they said, can you preach on it? I said, well, I'll think about that. So I started reading the book of Job in my own quiet time. And I read through it about three times, all 42 chapters. It's not hard to read the book of Job uh, because it's not super long. But, but as I was reading through it, I got to the end, the very last chapter, verse chapter 42, and I'm going, yeah, that's it. I mean, that's the key to the whole book of Job. And I've always focused on the front end of Job, not the back end of Job, the end of Job. And so a couple of weeks ago, when I was last time I preached, I, I shared with you that, you know, if you were going to prepare for this series, what I wanted you to do is go and read chapter 42 first, and then go back and read, start in the beginning. Because it sets up the whole thing. Because at the end of chapter, uh, in chapter 42, one verse just left out at me when I began to read, and it was verse 12, uh, the first part of verse 12, and it says this in chapter 12 of, uh, of chapter 42, verse 12 of the book of Job. It says, the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. Do you want that to happen in your life? Would you like the latter part of your life to be blessed more than the former part? I, I don't know about you, if you're normal and sane, the answer is yes. But the problem is so often in life, when we read the book of Job, the first two chapters out of the context of the rest of Job, we simply think, you know, it says, it says he blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part, but it also means that he blessed the first part too. Even all the junk that we're going to read about. And so what can we learn from the book of Job? I, basically, we, talk, we call the series this, The Life of Job, A Story of Hope. A Story of Hope. And so what I'm going to be talking about over the next several weeks, each week, is things we can learn from the book of Job, lessons we can learn about how to live a blessed life. Because it says that his life was blessed. He was blessed more, though, in the, for, in the latter part than the first part. But there's some keys to that. And I think we'll also learn in the sense that sometimes what we think that is a blessing is not necessarily uh, what the Bible says a blessing is. So we'll look at that as well. Because in Scripture it also says in Isaiah 55, 8, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. And so sometimes we don't always understand exactly what God is, is uh what he's saying in his word, because we think that we know what God thinks, but we really don't. So, let me give you, each week I'm going to try to, I've tried to narrow it down in this series, I'm trying to narrow it down each week to the sermon in a sentence, okay? The sermon's in a whole sentence, so this is it. If you don't get anything else today, this is it. Sermon in a sentence, one sentence. If you want to live a blessed life, don't give up on the God who has never given up on you. If you want to live a blessed life, don't give up on the God who has never given up on you. That's what we're going to talk about today. That's the first key to a blessed life. And you'll understand that more in the context as we look at the book of Job over the next, uh, you know, three hours today. Oh, y'all didn't get that. Okay. Um, the book of Job, I mean, I can talk about it forever. It's a great book. It's a great book to study. So, we're going to look at it. You know, I love what it says 
about not giving up in Scripture is those only talk about it in the Old Testament, the New Testament as well. One of my favorite passages in all the, the Bibles in Galatians 6, 9, and it says this, it says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. If we do not give up. So today what I want to do is just say this right up front. For some of you, this message is timely. It's timely. You're going through a tough time. And for you, this message will be so applicable to today. But if you're in a good place in your life right now and things are pretty well, pretty good, just file this message away and you'll have to pull it out sometime in the future. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Because it's what Scripture says. Okay? So I want to th say three things today, talk about three things, three lessons we can learn in a sense, or three things that we can learn from this, this uh, the thing about, you know, if we want to live a blessed life, um, don't give up on the God who's never given up on you. The first, the first thing I, I want to say about it today is this. Number one, life is hard. Life is hard. We learn from the book of Job that life is hard. I don't think any of us would, would debate that, that life is hard. We live in a fallen world. And that means that we chose, as mankind, as a group, that God did not create the world and to have chaos and difficulty and all this stuff, but because of our choices to fall and not follow God and to have sin, we live in a fallen world. And because of the choices of our own choices and the choices of other people, life is hard. That's what happens when we don't follow God's plan in our world. You know, none of us have to schedule hard times, right? I mean, we go like, okay, this Thursday I'd like to have an accident. Or, you know, next week I'd like to, you know, go in a hospital or something. We don't have to schedule that. It just happens, right? I've never, I've never had to schedule tough times. It just happens. It just happens. Then today we're going to look at Job chapters 1 and 2. And I'm not going to read all the verses I want to tell you about it. So what I want you to do is I want you to go home this afternoon. I don't want you to wait till tomorrow or the next day. I want you to go home this afternoon. And I want you to read chapters 1 and 2 of Job after we talk about it a while. It'll take you all of 10 minutes. Okay? So I'm just asking you to pull yourself away from the TV for 10 whole minutes today or less and read the first two chapters. Now, so if you have your Bibles, as I talk about it, you can open it up. Uh, if you don't know where Job's at, it's real easy. Take your Bible, okay, look at the, about the middle of the Bible, and kind of open it up. It should be close to Psalms, okay? Close to Psalms, and take a left. Okay? That's where Job is, right before Psalms. And so if you look at the book of Psalms, uh, book of Job, that's what we're going to look at the first two chapters this morning, talk about it a little bit. And each week we're going to talk about different places in the book of Job and learn some lessons, hopefully, together that will help us to understand how to live a life that's blessed according to what God's definition of blessed is. Okay, uh, life, life is hard. Now, the first thing about the first couple of chapters, when we read about Job, the first thing we read in chapter 1 is that Job was blameless and upright. First thing it says about Job, blameless and upright. I would not describe myself as blameless and upright. I mean, that's a pretty nice definition of a guy who lived up. It said he was God-fearing. It says that he was a guy who was, who was just incredibly blessed. And, and so it tells us right off the bat that this guy was a good guy. Job was, I mean, if you wanted to, in that day and age, talk about somebody that stood at the top of the pack, he would have been, been there. It says that he had a, had a, a, a large family. He, he must have had a great relationship with his wife because he had ten kids. Ten. Seven sons, three daughters. So you don't get that, figure it out later. Uh, but uh, he had a good relationship with his wife, you know, and so they had ten kids. He had a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, and he, had, he was wealthy. 
And, and in that day and age, even to today, we've kind of had this thing, we equate you know, being wealthy and having a lot of stuff as being blessed. I don't necessarily think biblically that's blessing. It can be a curse as well. But the issue is, is that it says he did have a lot of things. Another thing about the book of Job is that the book of Job may possibly be the oldest book written in all of Scripture. Uh, many many uh, people who are authorities think it's the oldest one. There are several reasons. One of it is because it's uh, nothing else about uh, the, the Jews or about the temple or anything else that's mentioned uh, in the book of Job. It seems to stand alone, but it still fits into Scripture incredibly well. And so we have that. So basically it starts off by talking about Job and his family, how blameless he was and all these things. And then in chapter 1 it kind of goes into this little conversation. We see this kind of look into heaven. And in heaven there's this conversation going on between God and Satan. And God and Satan are having this conversation. And it doesn't really tell us how it starts. It may be ongoing, you know, when you, know, when you have a conversation there. It probably last a long time. But it's been going on for a while. And they must have been talking about stuff about the earth, and Satan is kind of probably going around going like, you know, this, these people are just worthless. You know, you kind of get that idea. And then God says something. He says, have you ever considered my servant Job? And when I read that, I'm going like, you know, it'd be cool to have God rec to recognize you, but in this context, no. No. I mean, you know, if I want to be, I like to be just a little bit under recognition. So, you know, because if he's recognized, he kind of points out, he points out to Satan. Have you ever considered my servant Job? And then Satan looks at him and he says something that's a truth. But it's not real good for Job. But he says this, well, you know, any fool can follow God when everything's going well. Anybody can follow God when things are going well. He's got everything. He's got a family. He's got a great relationship with his wife. He's got stuff. He's got all this going on. You know, anybody can follow God. And, and that's true, right? It's easy to raise your hands and praise God and get all excited about God when things are going great. And so, Satan says to God, he says, well, you know, yeah, big deal. So, God says, okay, Satan, you have my permission to test Job. Whew, bad news for Job. Because right after that, Job has the worst day in the history of anybody ever having bad days. Because in that chapter there, what happens is, all of a sudden, three different servants come to him, and during that one day, it's like the stock market crashes, his mutual funds are lost, his 401k just goes, I mean, goes bankrupt. I mean, everything, his bank is robbed, and there's nothing left. He basically loses all of his stuff. And one day, and then on top of that, at the end of that day, a natural disaster, and I quote natural, happens, and all ten of his kids are killed. All ten of them. Now, I would call that a bad day. And so Satan tests, tests Job that way. And, and, but the matter is something. Sometimes we think that God and Satan are in this, in this cosmic battle up there and it's two equal you know, but opposite forces battling each other. Satan has to get permission from God to test Job. It's not like he has the power because Satan doesn't have power over God. He has no power. If you watch a lot of you know, horror movies, you think that Satan can go out and do anything to you once? No. Can't do it. Not according to Scripture. 
So he loses nearly everything, and one day he loses all his material possessions. Ten of his children are killed. I can't imagine the pain that he's going through at this point. His response, Job's response at the end of chapter 1, verse 21, he says this. He says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And we read that verse, and we're thinking, man... In that context, you're going like, how can he say that? How can he be such a person of incredible faith? And sometimes that's all we get to through Job. And we, that, we leave that, we close the door there on Job and say, so that's just the way it is, you know. The problem is chapter 2 comes along. In chapter 2, there's a second conversation between God and Satan. Kind of similar to the first one. But once again, they're having this conversation. And what happens is, is that... Uh, God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Hey, look at him. He lo- you, you tested him. He lost everything. And he still trusts me. And so Satan says, well, you know, he still has his health. I mean, anybody can, you know, still stick with you as long as they're healthy. And so God gives him permission to test him again. And, he, and Job goes to the doctor, and he, and he gets a report back. And the doctor says, Job, I hate to tell you this, but you have every disease known to man. Almost. I mean, basically, that's just the description here that we see. I mean, you have everything. Not only, you know, you've, you, you have everything going on that's known to man. And when you see this, I don't know if you guys have ever been to a seen a loved one or been to a hospital or somewhere where somebody is really, really sick and you walk in the room and you're going, whoa, they look bad. I mean, over 30 years of ministry, I walked into ICUs and emergency rooms and places and seen people just look horrible, you know, and they just look bad. And you just try not to, you know, act like they're bad, you know, try to be positive. But Job must have really looked bad because it says in Scripture that his, his, his three friends, now, well, Friends is in quotation marks too. Uh, for three friends show up, and they're there to, to kind of visit Job and, and his misery, you know. And they look at him, and they see him, and he looks so bad that it says they could not speak for seven days. Wow, he must have looked really bad. He, that's how bad it was for Job at this point. That's what it is. And it got so bad that Mrs. Job, I don't know what her real name is, so we'll just call her Mrs. Job. Uh, Mrs. Job comes to Job at the end of all this, and she looks at him and she says, why don't you, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? You know, this is the same Job, you know, that basically has said these nice things about his relationship with God in 121. But Mrs. Job comes, and so often we want to say, well, you know, well, why don't God just curse her and let her die? She's going to have that kind of attitude. But remember something. Let's, let's not be so hard on Mrs. Job because Mrs. Job also lost all ten of her kids. She saw her husband lose everything he had and now he's, he's sitting there looking like he's about to die and she's thinking, there's nothing left for me. What am I going to do? So she responds in that way. And so the thing is, is and, and that's why I was hesitant to preach about Job because I've heard messages um, like this before. I heard this one time years ago. I remember this, a book of Job. And it's kind of a harsh message because it's like this. It says, I heard somebody say, well, Job had a hard life. None of you have had a life anywhere near as hard of Job, as hard as Job. And so what you need to do is suck it up and get over it. Let's pray. I'm not going to tell, that's not where we're going, okay? That's not where we're going. 
Because, you know, it's not about, you know, it's not about, uh, uh, the thing is, so often we hear messages like it, the pain you're going through, if you're going through pain right now, is real. It's real. And I'm not going to be that guy that tries to outpain you. You know what that means? You know, a person that outpains you, you have some kind of problem, and what they do, no matter what problem you have, theirs is bigger. You know? And if you don't know anybody like that, it's probably you. And nobody likes that person. They don't not even they don't even have any Facebook friends, you know, because it just it's always misery, misery. It's kind of like you know, if you don't understand that, at least give me an example. It's kind of like uh, you know, you know what Ginsu knives are. You've had infomercials Ginsu knives. Some of you young don't remember those, but they're cool. Ginsu knives. The commercial was basically you could take this knife and slice tomatoes, and you go out and saw the bumper of your car. Come back and slice the tomatoes. You know, it still works. Uh, why would you slice a bumper on a car with a knife? I don't know. But that's the deal. But say you have your Ginsu knife out and you've been slicing on your bumper. You go inside to slice some tomatoes and you slice some tomatoes and, and, you, and you slice right because it's so sharp you slice right through part of your finger. It's all the way to the bone and you have to go to the emergency room. You have to get stitches in it and all this stuff. And you go to the, go to the office and, and you have, you know, you have this, uh, uh, big giant bandage on your finger and somebody asks you, what, what's going on with you there? And you say, well, uh, Man, I sliced my finger with my Ginsu knife after I was, you know, working on my car and, and, uh, doing all this stuff, you know, and, and this, and it hurts, man, it's in pain. I had to have shots for it and stuff, and they look at you and they go, like, this is the one-upsman person. They look at you and go, you don't know what pain is. Let me tell you. And he pulls up his pant leg and said, just see this leg, it's not really, much, it's not really real. I was out one time, and he started telling the story about how they fell, a tree fell on them and the, you know, had to chop their leg off with a knife or something. You know, I mean, they always have one story that's bigger than your story. It's always bigger. And there's people like that, maybe not quite that dramatic. But always it's something worse than yours. And so I'm not going to try to because the pain you're going through is real. But I want to tell you that the story of, of, of Job is about real pain. It's about pain. He had at least five types of pain I see in here. I just want to mention them very briefly. Uh, first of all was emotional pain. I, I can't imagine the emotional pain of losing ten kids. I can't imagine the emotional pain of losing one child, much less ten kids at the same time. Or the pain of, you know, I know, I know in my own life with my kids, I have two kids and two grandkids now, and, and I have grand, and, you know, and, and son-in-law, daughter-in-law, all that kind of stuff now. And so the, those kids, even when they go through any kind of pain, Man, it's, it's, it's painful for me. But he lost. Job understood that. So, I mean, you may have pain to go through. And I know people in the life of this church who've lost kids, who've had miscarriages, who've, who've gone through depression. Christians go through depression? Yeah. I can tell you firsthand. It worked. It does. And so the thing is, you have to understand how, how that works in your life. And, and, and it's real pain. He went through also, Job went through financial pain. I mean, he lost everything. He went through everything in his life. Losing everything. We've had people here, even recently, lost jobs. Let me tell you, for guys, it's tough. I mean, women, I'm, you know, I know it's tough. But for guys, we have so much of our esteem built into the fact that we can support our family. And when we lose a job, it feels like we're just worthless. It's painful. You might have had major setbacks. Who knows? The thing is, relational pain. Relational pain. Uh, Job, ha Job and his, I mean, Job and his wife, if you see this in Scripture, you know, when, he sa when she says to him, why don't you just, you know, curse God and die? I call that tension. 
between the two. And when you go through all these pains and all these things going on in your life, this relational pain, people have relational pain in their lives, and so often they come to my office or come to one of the staff offices and they're going through stuff and crisis and they're having relational pain. and It's just, it's just tough. Physical pain. Job had incredible physical pain. The way it describes the physical pain here, I just don't know what it was going on with him, but he had so much stuff going on. But I know people that go, have gone in this church that call me and say, Pastor, I went to the office, I thought everything was fine, and, I, and then they'll tell me something they discovered. We have that as well. I know the pain is real. And Job went through spiritual pain. Spiritual pain is the kind of pain, it's where Job is struggling with God. And even though in chapters 1 and 2 it seems like he's like, uh, yeah, he has all this stuff. Let me explain. Read chapters 3 through 37. And tell me he didn't struggle with God. He didn't have questions about God. See, we so often, we, we just have this, this, this false idea we had it, they had it then in that world and they have it now that God does good things to good people and bad things to bad people. Hinduism calls it karma. The problem is the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say just because you follow God that nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. Or if you follow God well enough, nothing, everything good will happen to you. See, we try to reduce Christianity to bumper sticker logos. We do. And the worst whatever that's ever out there a long time ago, and I've shared this before, is this. The safest place to be is in the center of the will of God. And I ask the question, if that is true, if that is true, tell me about how that works for Jesus. I don't know about being crucified on a cross as being a safe place. Tell me about the disciples who all were killed except for John and they tried to boil him in oil. And you tell me the safest place to be is in the center of the will of God. It's the best place to be. It's not the safest place to be. See, and the Bible says here in Job, as we started off, Job wasn't doing anything wrong. It says he was blameless and upright. And so often it drives me crazy. Uh, folks, let's be honest with you, watching TV preachers. Some of these health and wealth and prosperity guys that come out there and they say things like, well, if you just have enough faith, you, you will live a safe life. And God will prosper you. And once again, I ask, look at Jesus and his closest friends. It's just not true. It's not biblical. And then I'll say, just look at what Jesus said in John 16.33. This is what Jesus says. Jesus, the Son of God. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you might have trouble. Is that what it says? In this world you will have trouble. You will have trouble. He says, because we live in a fallen world and sin is a reality in our world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. And so the first thing that we learn in the book of Job, it's important, is that, is that the life, is, life is hard. Life is hard. But in the midst of that, the second thing we learn is this. God is still God. No matter what's going on in your life, God is still God and God is still good. He's still good. No matter what's happening. Your circumstances do not determine his character, do not alter his character. So often what we do is we allow our circumstances to determine our theology. Understand what I'm saying? We're going like, well, I'm going through a tough time, so God must not love me. 
Or, 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 or this is happening, and so God is, this is not the loving God I think is. The, the problem is, is that's not the way we need to approach life. The Bible tells us we need to allow our theology to determine how we view our circumstances. That's what Job did. He determined before he, all this happened that he was, this is how God is. And he viewed all of his circumstances through this lens of a theology that God is God, he's in control, I may not understand everything, and he's still good. We decide beforehand. It's kind of like this. Um, you can decide beforehand how you're going to live life and how you're going to respond to anything, I found out. You can. A couple, about a year and a half ago, um, I had the opportunity to fly, and I shared this before, fly to, um, to overseas to go to Africa. But on my way, I flew from here to Detroit, Detroit, to Paris, to Paris, to Bamako. Long flights, okay? Some of you in the church, you guys are just travel all over the place. I mean, some of you guys work for companies that send you everywhere. Until I came here, I've flown two times in my whole life, okay? Twice. You know, like I think from Roanoke, Virginia to Baltimore and somewhere somewhere else. I, that was it. That was it. That was my flight experience. So here I am, a year and a half ago, on an Air France plane. I'd never flown Air France before. And I was on this giant plane, huge plane, going from Detroit all the way to Paris. It was about, an, I think, an eight-hour flight, something like that. And as I was flying over there, I'm on this huge plane, and it was only about two-thirds full. And I, for some reason, got blasted. I was up near the front, and it had like a big middle section and the two side sections. I had a whole middle section, a whole row by myself. Okay, and there was a guy in front of me, kind of in front of me, that had the same scenario, Okay. And here I am in this plane, and I'm flying, okay? And, and you know, in about a couple hours into the flight, they bring you a meal. They're first of two meals, okay, on this flight. And, and I've never been on Air France, so I wasn't really sure about the food, so they brought this food, and I wasn't really sure what it was. I guess it was French, since it was on Air France. I don't know. But uh, the thing is, it was, I thought it was pretty good. I couldn't really identify it, but it was pretty good. And I'm going, well, and, and I was thinking in my mind, how cool is this? I'm flying. What years ago would be so hard to get, it would take weeks to get over on a boat or something. You know, and I get scurvy on the trip or something like that, you know. But, you know, years ago, that would have happened. But the reality is, here I'm on a plane, and, it, you know, leaving America, eight hours later, I'm going to be in France, and then and six hours later, after a long layover, then I'm going to be in Africa. I'm going to do all that. Here I'm on this plane, I get to get, eat two meals, I have a whole row by myself, I could lay out if I wanted to, you know, which I did. And, uh, you know, do all this, I'm, you know, and I was thinking, how great is this? This guy in front of me didn't have the same attitude. Um, when the waitress, uh, waitress, not a waitress, stewardess, brought uh, the meal, the first meal, he looks at it, throws his stuff, I was kind of, he was in front, right, well, whole road by himself once again, just in front of me, you know, by himself. He throws that, gets, looks at the food, throws down his food to the fork, pushes the button in the south, we call it mashing the button. Um, that's what you do, you mash it. Um, and he looks, and he, calls, he pushes his button for the stewardess, and she comes, and he says, yes, sir. And she's really polite. He says, I'm an American, and I don't eat food like this. And she's going, well, sir, that's all we have. You know, and he tended to be the most obnoxious, I call him a jerk. And I'm going, what is your problem you're on a plane that's very comfortable, flying to another country, eating food that's actually pretty decent, brought to you by a very pleasant person, 
and all you can do is complain? See, he decided before he left he wasn't going to be happy. And see, that's the thing about life. You have to decide up front. Because I've heard this years ago, and I love this phrase, your emotion will not sustain your devotion. Your emotion will not sustain your devotion. If you think it's about how you feel and all that stuff, you have to decide up front how you're going to respond to life. Because if you don't, everything in life will be determined by your circumstances. And that's what Job did. Job had determined before he got to this scenario in life, before he got all this stuff going on, that God would have trust God. It wasn't because of his circumstances. God is still God, and God is still good, regardless of that. It's kind of like, you know, around here, I've learned, I think this is true everywhere in the world, you know, in the United States, but we sometimes place people on pedestals for obscure reasons. Uh, for instance, in central Illinois, in Metamore, in, in, in Washington, we, we go, go crazy about something called football, you know? You know, and, and I'm going to tell you, it's, it's just as true in Virginia. I'll, I'll one-up you guys here, okay? I'm not going to, the person that usually does that, but here, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to one-up you. Because where I moved from in Virginia, in Salem, Virginia, Salem, Salem High School, where my daughter went to school, uh, the city of Salem is about 25,000, about the size of East Peoria. We had one high school there, it had 16,000, 18,000 students, 1,800 students, excuse me, not 1,000. And, and it was a really, and, and the coach there had been there, uh, coach, the coach there for 21 years. They, he was, he left two years, three years after we moved here. Uh, he was there for 21 years. His name was Willis White. Willis White, between 96, and he'd always had a good coaching record, between 96 and 2000, their team there uh, in Salem won four out of five years, won the state championship in their division. I'll never forget that one time I went to a game about a year before I left, and you walk into a high school football game, okay, context, high school football game, and here they were giving out bobblehead dolls of Willis White to everybody. That's what I always wanted in life. And I'll tell you, I remember for two years, you know, it was like, you know, when the people described, you know, the Trinity, it was, it was like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and Willis. You know? During those years. Because you could do no wrong. Two years after, two years after we left, uh, they had a mediocre season. They were only eight and four. And they were calling for his head because they didn't get to the state playoffs. And I'm going like, yeah, emotion does not sustain devotion. Sure doesn't. But if you live your life where all your circumstances are determined, determine how, how you approach life, then what will happen is uh, it will be a disaster. Because, I, once again, Job had a theology that determined how he viewed things. And he, and he expresses this again, not only in chapter 1, but in chapter 19, if you read on through uh, the book of Job, chapter 19, this is what Job says after all the stuff that he's going on here. And we haven't read all of it here this morning, but just a little bit. In Job chapter 19, verses 25, it says, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Job says, I don't understand him now, but I have made a choice to believe that God is still God no matter what happens, and that's how I'm going to live life. You know? And so that's a lesson we need to learn. We need to learn that lesson. Life is hard, but God is still God, and he's still good. 
And the way we can live our life fully is to understand how Job did it, and that is to decide up front that our theology is going to determine how we view everything around us. You know, one of the most misquoted verses in all of Scripture, there's a whole bunch of them, by the way, you know, like some people say that the most misquoted one is money is the root of all evil. No, it doesn't say that. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. That's what it says. But one of the other mis- most misquoted ones is Romans 8, 28. Uh, and it says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. And so often people use this at a funeral just to simply say, well, you know, the things that happen to your loved one, God has a purpose. He'll bring good about it. Well, that doesn't really say that. What it says, it says that God will work through all the junk, the pain. It doesn't say everything's going to be hunky-dory. That means good, by the way, if you don't know what that means. It's going to be good. And the thing is, it says, he says, but through all that, through the pain, through all the difficulties, God, for those who love him, for his children, he's going to bring about something positive through that as well. So if you're going through a tough time and you belong to Jesus, God is working good through it. You may not see it, but he's working good through it. See, we have a God, and that's why I got you to read chapter 42 first, so you understand what, how God, what it did at the end. Because we have a God who is in chapter 2 and in chapter 42. Because we have this limited perspective, but we try to lecture God or tell God what, what he should do anyway, because even with our limited perspective, it's kind of like this. I mean, how many of you have seen Star Wars movie, a Star Wars movie? Anybody seen a Star Wars movie? Okay, there's, how many have seen all six of them? Okay, y'all guys are true fans. Okay, I've seen all six of them multiple times. Okay, okay. Star Wars, the movies, and there's three more coming out, I understand, which is really cool, you know. Uh, but the thing is this, if you've seen the Star there's six Star Wars movies, okay, and there's, it's a theme throughout the movies, okay, if you've seen the movies. Okay, it would be like, okay, and who, who, who wrote, who did Star Wars? George Lucas. George Lucas, okay? It would be like, you trying to explain George Lucas movie and all you uh, Star Wars movie, and you get to go to one movie and you got to go in for ten seconds, okay? Ten seconds, and you walk out and you see George Lucas out in the lobby at the theater, okay? I don't know if that would have happened, but you know the thing is, he's out in the lobby at the theater, and you've only seen ten seconds of the movie, just ten seconds of one George Lucas movie, one Star Wars movie, and you look at George and you say, George, I think your movies are dumb. And you say, why do you think they're dumb? Well, that character in the movie, he's just dumb. And you go, what character are you talking about? Yoda. Yoda? Yeah, the little dude. Yeah, the little dude in the movie. Yoda. Well, you've only seen 10 seconds and 10 seconds where you're not like, Yoda, I'm Yoda. You know, the, the Yoda character. And you're going like, that's a dumb character. That's all you know. And that's your perspective. That's our perspective on, our, on life. Because we're just here, we just see a little tiny bit. And if we base everything, and, and we look at everything, and we, you know, I, I truly sometimes when things are going bad in somebody's life, and somebody says, I don't understand, all I can do is say, I don't understand either. But my circumstances, and how I view the circumstances are not determined, how I view life is not determined by my circumstances. Like Job, I want to view life and have a theology that God, this is the way I believe it. And even though I don't understand everything, I'm going to view life through that grid. Sometimes God uses pain, allows pain to happen in our lives to help us progress. It's kind of like uh, this last week, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, it'd be like, uh, uh, I don't know if y'all knew this, but Dan Baker, our children's pastor, 
uh, a couple of weeks ago, took a bunch of kids to camp. And uh, on Sunday morning, two weeks ago, he took off for camp with uh, uh, 15 of our little kids to go to camp at the Miracle Camp. That night, he started having all these pains and uh, discovered that light later, actually the next morning, about 4 a.m., that he had appendicitis. And so he had to go to the hospital in, in, in the metropolitan area of Paw Paw, Michigan. You know, he had surgery. <laughs> And so he was there. But, you know, Dan went to the hospital, and he knew that when the doctor was going to operate on him, he was going to cause some pain. You know, and if he didn't put him to sleep, he'd cause a lot of pain. But he's going to cause some pain. And the only way, you know, and, and it would be like Dan saying, well, you know, doctor, you know, I don't want you to cause me any pain because I, I, if you love me, I don't know if Dan would ever say that, you know, if you love me, you won't cause me any pain. The doctor says, the only way I can cure what your problem is is to inflict a little pain to cure what the real problem is. See, I am glad that we have a God who loves me enough to wound me when necessary because he sees the big picture. Finally, last point. We'll be done in two minutes. Don't give up. Don't give up. The one thing that I see in the book of Job clearly more than anything else is that if you really want to live a blessed life, you don't give up. I don't know if you would agree with me with this. I think you would. That raising children is both rewarding and frustrating. Amen. amen. I heard an amen down here. Okay, great oaks and an amen. I don't, very rare. Amen. You know, raising children. But one of the most, let me tell you, that one of the most frustrating things about raising children is when you see your children having you know that they're capable of so much more, but they give up? As a parent, don't, doesn't that frustrate you? I'm not talking about them having to do everything perfect. I'm just talking about them. You know they can do more, and they just give up. But because you've been through the wars, and you have some experience, you want more for them, right? Well, that's what God says. He says to us, don't give up. I love this. There's a passage in, in, the, in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians, that says this. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed each day, or day by day. For our light and momentary troubles, that's what uh, Paul says there, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul, once again, another person in Scripture experienced incredible pain in his life, but he's going like, hey guys, if we focus our attention on what's right here in front of us now, we miss the bigger picture. We miss the bigger picture. And that's why we could read in Scripture in chapter 42, verse 12 of, of Job, th those words that we started with. The Lord blessed the latter part of his life, Job's life, more than the first part. And I believe you want it, and I know I want to be blessed that way in my, in, in our, my life. I want it for you, too. God wants it for you. So if you want to live a blessed life, the first, this is the first lesson out of seven. If you want to live a blessed life, don't give up on the God who has never given up on you. Because when life is hard, and it will be hard, it will be hard, God is still God, and he's still good. So don't give up.